We'll be looking at several portions of Scripture tonight we'll use as a springboard. In Genesis chapter 2, we return to the book where we were preaching this morning, Genesis chapter 2, as we consider what we call the Lord's Day, our statement of faith, the 17th tenet of our statement of faith, says the Lord's Day is a Christian institution for regular observance and should be employed in exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private, resting from worldly employments and amusements, works of necessity and mercy only excluded. We believe that the first day of the week is the Lord's Day or the Christian Sabbath. Genesis chapter 2 tells us where the beginning of this principle laid down in the scripture begins. There we read in verse 1, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. Not because he was tired, he is God. Not because he had need of a seventh day or any day, he's not bound by time. This, I remind us, is before the creation of man. And so for the Holy Spirit to record this for us, this principle, this statement, is something to be set in movement or set in force for the generations to come. And God blessed the seventh day in His solitariness, alone in His triune glory. He blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, set it apart, because that in it He had rested from all of his work which God created and made. There are many questions about this. Uh, the first that comes to mind is the day of the week, which day, and, and what, and when, and who. Who does this encompass, and to what age does it refer to? And we hope to answer these questions and to teach this important and lost doctrine, as far as I'm concerned, in Christendom of the Lord's Day. And as you can tell, this will be more than just one Sunday evening service we'll be able to handle, but we'll make a, a, a go of it to begin here tonight. Let us ask the Lord's blessing. Lord, we come on this, your day. We glory in it, and we thank you that you have given us the Sabbath, or the Lord's Day, to worship, to learn, to rest from our regular activities, and to rest in you. We rest in you for our salvation, and uh, this is the soul's rest one of the, the types of this day that you've given to us. Now, teach us, give us open hearts and minds, and may the Spirit of God be our teacher and guide, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we see in Genesis chapter 2, at the very beginning of the record of time, of God's dealings with His creation, the institution of a Sabbath principle. God ends His work of creation in seven, we believe, literal days, the Holy Spirit defines for us those days. Some have surmised throughout the years that they were eons and, and trions of time. I just coined a word there, didn't I? <laughs> but the scripture tells us exactly what the Lord meant. Morning and evening were the first day. Morning and evening were the second day. Now, I wasn't in the high group at school. I don't even know if I was in the high group of the low group. I was probably about middle ways, but I know that morning and evening is a day, a 24-hour period of time. But God ends His work and then blesses and sets aside the seventh day, pronouncing a principle, a decree, 
from the beginning. 3,000 years now, we remind you, before the law of Moses was given, where, again, the Sabbath is mentioned and instituted in a very much sterner way for God's people on earth uh, in that dispensation. Here, God, who is timeless and tireless, gives to the human races, uh, the, the human race and those to come, yet to be created a principle, an ordinance of recognition and remembering and observing one day out of seven in a special and unique way. At the very beginning, God institutes this, and so we see his feelings, his desire, his thoughts upon the matter. He ceases from his creative work, thus the word Sabbath. The word Sabbath means cessation. And so he ceases from his work, to not only commemorate his creative works, and one of the things we do in worship is in many of our hymns do call to, to mind, we sang this morning, I sing the mighty power of God. He, he spoke the worlds into existence, what he has created. And uh, special attention is given in praise and adoration for our creator God and the works that he alone can do. And we remind ourselves, do we not? It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And we come with that in mind. Not only, to, though, to commemorate his creative works, but to, to establish a day of worship. Do you know why? I'll just tell you to start with in a very simplistic way, because if it had been left up to us, we would never quite get around to it, would we? So many of our good intentions are just that. They're good intentions. Or we're haphazard about it. And so the Lord in His all wisdom and knowledge of us and what we would be like and how He wants to communicate with us and, and fellowship with us establishes this ordinance, this principle, to remind us and to call us to Himself. Then in Hebrews 3 and 4 we see a, another uh, significance of the Lord's Day of the Sabbath and the reason for it is a picture of our salvation which there it is described our rest in the Lord where the sinner ceases from striving in his own works and rests in the provision of Christ as our Savior an eternal rest entered in by all who cease from their own works and trust in the work of Christ and so we see the work of creation and our great God, and the work of our Savior in our salvation. And of course, we read also at the beginning of the law in Exodus 20 and verse 8, remember the Sabbath day. What is the Lord telling His people? He's calling again this principle that He's established, and He's calling them back to it in, a, in a, even a, in a more succinct way. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it what? Holy. To keep it set apart from what? All the other regular days of the week. This is not a regular day of the week. This is a particular set apart, sanctified. The word sanctified means set apart, fenced in day of the Lord. Some say this was given only to the Jews. In fact, you speak to many Baptists and they'll be quick to say, well, that's an Old Testament. But, you know, people love to, whatever they want to put under the bus, say, that's the law. In ignorance, they say such a thing. We just read where it was established long before the law was established, this principle, this Sabbath. But some will, will, will hold to that tenaciously, that it was given only to the Jews. It's been done away with. Uh, in, the, in the New Testament, the day of grace, never being able to come up with a verse saying that it's been rescinded or given away or done away with. And so they go on in ignorance. 
We should not be ignorant, though, should we? But the scripture speaks so clearly and loudly. But as we've clearly seen, the giving of this Sabbath principle of rest and remembering, of setting aside one day out of seven and remembering the Lord particularly and uniquely was given 3,000 years before the law of Moses was given. So God was setting up a memorial, not for himself. Does he forget anything? Does he need to be reminded? Does he need to, to remember anything? He forgets not. He neither slumbers nor sleep. And so he created this for us to come to him. A memorial for man to keep and observe. Some refer to it as a creation ordinance. And rightfully so. Those who, who lived before Moses would have known about it and observed it, no doubt. Although... There are those who, who seem in, just bent on uh, tearing down this principle and will point to the fact that nothing is mentioned from this text in Genesis 2 until the Exodus account in, in Exodus 16 and ignorantly uh, suggest that man must not have observed it, which is ridiculous. And I hope we'll, we'll see that as we continue in our study. Even the wording, for example, in Genesis 4 verse 3 uh, indicates a certain day of commemoration and worship. In the process of time, the context there, you don't have to turn there, he's referring to the offerings of Cain and Abel being brought. How do they know when to bring? What Did they just decide and get together and say, now Cain, we, we need to really do something here. I think it would be neat if we brought sacrifices. And what do you think? Maybe the seventh day, the Sabbath day? They, they didn't come up with that. The Bible tells us in the process of time or at an appointed time or in the course of time. In, in other words, on a day that God appointed that Cain brought forth the fruit of the ground and offering to the Lord and Abel did also. And some say this points to a Sabbath observance, although the Sabbath is not mentioned. But the wording there, at an appointed time, a God-ordained time, these sons of Adam and Eve brought their sacrifices. It is true that no specific mention is made of the Sabbath observance from Genesis until we get to Exodus chapter 16. But in Genesis, clearly here, the principle is so strongly stated, so succinctly given, so specifically ordained by the Lord, as we see there where he said God blessed it and sanctified it and set it apart uh, of all the other days and set up by the Lord, that it must have been given to man and observed by man. The results were to be spiritual refreshment and blessing. As our text there in Isaiah 58, if our scripture reading, call the Sabbath a delight. That's a command, isn't it? Think of it as a delight. I'm bowed over that so many of God's people see it as a burden. When it's a gift, it's, a, it's to be delighted in, to be reveled in the Sabbath, the Lord's day, and remembering the Lord and all of His glorious attributes and works. One of my earliest memories was a, a Lord's Day where I was left at home uh, in our church. I, looking back now, I, I understand it, but at the time I, th I thought my parents were cruel and an unusual punishment. And I, I, if you can see, I'm going to try to make, I'm going to play on your sympathies. A little boy about the age of Elliot standing in the driveway crying as the family car pulled off and everyone was in there but me and maybe a sibling. I don't know who they left me with. That part I don't remember. 
But I clearly thought in my mind, they've left me, they've left me, they've left me. Why have they left me? I wanted to go to church that, that Sunday night. Uh, I later found out they were having, uh, as some churches are wont to do, um, and I can only imagine what this one was like, but it was a business meeting, and my parents, and I think it was quite controversial, and my parents felt that it was, uh, was one that I should not be in attendance at, and so they left me at home with someone else. Well, that's sad, isn't it? That there would be something that a child couldn't go to, although we do know there might be times of church discipline and all where they would be excused, but that the whole service was given over to that and uh, it certainly gave me great trouble in mind. It's one of those memories that stand out in my mind because I so desperately wanted to go to church. For one thing, the, the, the Genesis 2 verse 3 tells us that God blessed the Sabbath. Please don't overlook that in the text that we read th- this evening. God blessed the Sabbath. Now, I don't know about you, but whatever God blesses, I want in on. Because it's good. It is a blessing. And a blessing is something only the Lord can give. Now, unusually here that that God would bless a day. Because in the scripture, almost always God blesses people or things. But we see here that God blessed this particular day. He claims it. And he sets it apart from the other six days, singularly and specifically. I think we often overlook the particular blessing attached to the Lord's day. And some of the worst culprits are the Lord's workers who like, you know, Martha, you know, dragging around. I got to do this, I got to do that. There's nobody here to do this. And and because of our duties in propagating the gospel and discipling the saints and, and so forth, we can look at it almost as a burden instead of a delight. Shame, shame, shame on any Sunday school teacher, preacher, choir singer, whoever you are, that misses the blessing. To miss the blessing is to miss all. It is not a burden. The the commandments of the Lord are not grievous. They are for our good. And we, we choose to attach to it the significance, and we choose whether to revel in it and consider a blessing or a burden. We desire the Lord's blessing, don't we? And so we should, and in seeking the Lord, in seeking for His best, we should start where He starts. And where does He start with giving a blessing? He blesses this day. It is said, interestingly, that God rested on the Sabbath. God resting? That's like God repenting, isn't it? What an unusual statement that God rested. Of course, since He is tireless... And not at all like us, uh, since he is tireless, and not like humans in wearying and fainting and needing physical rest, as we certainly do. This clearly means, again, that he set up this resting principle for us. How gracious he was to do that. Part of the blessing is the love and care that our Lord provided. When you think about creation, how he perfectly created an earth that that would sustain and propagate life. The right amount of water and sunlight and and all that has to be just exactly right. Daniel Smith and I were talking recently and I always envy his tomatoes. If you've not seen tomatoes, you ought to go to Daniel Smith's house and look at his tomato manufacturing thing he's got going on there. And uh, he so humbly said, well, now, Pastor, really, it's not me, it's the Lord. Uh, And he was true. What we were saying is at, at the end of the day, when you put the plant in the ground or the seed in the ground, Then it's up to who? 
What do you what do you after that except a waterer or a fertilizer? And the the tomato may or may not go along with it. Only the Lord can make a seed die and grow and burst forth and bring forth fruit. Only the Lord can do that. And so, uh, how gracious He is in all these things that He's given to us. A perfect environment where tomatoes will grow. Well, I could just taste a tomato sandwich right now, can't you? Onion, mayonnaise, you know, all the rest. Anyway, I, I, you can see where my mind is. I need to get back to the, the point here. But this observance is for us, and God knew that we needed it. Man would not have thought about setting aside one day in seven. I know man, don't you? Man would go on 24 hours a day, seven days a week if he could, making money hand over fist or playing hand over fist or, or whatever. And interestingly, though, the, the Sabbath principle... Uh, if you have to leave America to see it so enforced, if you've traveled abroad, even in liberal Europe, you'll see that nothing is open in most places on the Lord's Day, maybe except in some of the metropolises. If you go to Vienna, Austria, for example, the, 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 the city's absolutely closed down at noon on Saturday, and you can't, you can't stir a mouse up for the rest of the time. And this is true in many places. I came across this article just recently in the Wall Street Journal but it says Germany holds to much the same Monday to Friday work week rhythm as the rest of the world, but on Sunday it skips a beat. This uber-efficient country, which puts more restrictions on Sunday activities than nearly all of its neighbors, nearly shuts down. Laws regulating shopping hours and noise levels mean stores are shut, lawnmowers are silent, and woe unto him who flips the switch of an electric tool on Sunday. Sunday reflects the importance Germans place on the quality of life, neighborly consideration, and the need to unwind. The post-war constitution safeguards Sundays and recognizes holidays as days of rest and spiritual edification. Most Germans use the day to get outdoors, visit friends, or hit the gym or the pool. And there's a term there I cannot say in German is the one term they use for it. It simply means Sunday rest. Opening Sundays to shopping is fiercely resisted, mainly by churches and labor unions. Efforts by retailers and businesses to loosen the rules have also been unsuccessful. But a blanket prohibition was lifted in 2006 when states were allowed to designate a certain number of Sundays as shopping days. In some places, four are permitted each year. Anyone considering undertaking outdoor chores or home improvements will be in for a surprise. Regulations limit noise levels, forbidding the use of electric tools like drills and leaf blowers, as well as hammering, sawing, and loud music. At recycling containers, it's even prohibited to throw away glass jars and bottles on Sunday because of the noise. Heavy trucks are banned from German roads on Sunday. The aim is twofold, says Jan Jerzykirk of Services Union Verity to relieve streets and cities of noise and traffic and to give drivers a break. People who work weekends have trouble finding time to spend with family and friends, so Sunday shouldn't be a work day for, unless, for anyone unless it's absolutely essential. Now, I just point that out to say, see, do you see how the biblical principle has so infiltrated the heart and mind and the fabric of almost all of civilization 
It's an amazing. It's not that the Germans are more spiritual or that they even use it in the intended way of what I'm talking about, talking about tonight as the Lord's Day. But still, you have to wonder uh, what an amazing thing that is, the influence of the Bible on society. But the Lord established this day primarily for spiritual rest, not to hit the greens or the, the, the lake. It's the German society largely looks at it, or as even Americans, so-called professing Christians do. It is not a vacation day or, or just a day to go to the park or the lake or have family reunions. That's, that's not the intent of the Scripture. God claims for Himself one day out of seven. And by the way, He has a right to do that, doesn't He? As creator and sustainer of all life. I'm God. You're my creation. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember me all the time, but especially on one day a week. For spiritual purposes and edification, even though he is the owner of all things and all days are his. But this day we call, as New Testament believers, the Lord's Day because it is uniquely his. Adam was given a huge job. Speaking of work orders, can you imagine being the gardener and the overseer of the Garden of Eden, a huge several square mile park? And uh, he was the only one there, he and his wife. So for him to be given that responsibility, he must have had the physical stamina and the ability to do it. If God didn't intend for Adam and Eve and his family to observe it, as some say that God just, before he created man, said something about a day he would bless and then then just forget about it and nobody did anything with it for 3,000 years. Is that logical? I mean, is that, that doesn't even make sense, does it? then why would he have given it if he didn't intend for it to be observed? Why did he establish in Genesis 2 and ignore it after all that time until the time of Moses? It doesn't seem logical or reasonable because it isn't. And then in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, he tells his people to remember. Now, if I tell you to remember something, it's something you know, it's something you've been exposed to. Remember to, you know, as you call out the door to your wife or maid or child, remember to take the library book back to the library or remember our date tonight or whatever the situation is. We're to call to mind something already established, something taught or instructed or look back to this ordinance is what he's saying. When he tells them there in in Exodus, remember the Sabbath day, they were to look back to its origin, its precedence, this ordinance being set up in Genesis as a gift from the Lord and something for us to give back to Him, to the original principle set up in Eden before sin entered the world, before there was a sin and, and the Sabbath observance was set up. He goes on to say in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, for in six days, in other words, if God could do everything He needed to do in six days, the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, And rested on the Sabbath day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He set it apart. Surely then this wasn't confined to the covenant of Moses. Like tithing, we know, was instituted before the law of Moses. The principle of of giving and uh, recognizing the Lord as owner of all things. God's giving of the Sabbath and its observant blessing was given to the whole race. Peter Masters writes, Interestingly, it has often been pointed out that the Sabbath observance is hinted at in the account of Noah's flood, where several events occurred 
in seven-day intervals, as though each new action in the ark waited until after a Sabbath. The seven-day weekly cycle inaugurated in Eden is seen in Genesis 7, 4, and 10, verses 8 and 10, and in Genesis 12. In Genesis 8, 10, for example, he writes, we read of Noah, and he stayed yet another seven days, repeated in verse 12, the seven-day week given to Adam in the garden certainly became a standard throughout the ancient world to God's believing people, the, the remnant, the, the, the faithful. In Exodus chapter 16, where it's mentioned again after the Genesis 2 introduction of the principle, when the Sabbath is again mentioned, we know that it was given before the law was stated. It is stated again in Exodus 20, but singularly, by itself, it is brought up, the Lord does. And it's in connection with the, the manna, the gathering of the manna, that provision of the Lord, a miraculous provision of food for His people. And there in Exodus 16, verse 23, He said to them, "...that is that which the Lord has said, tomorrow is the rest of the Holy Sabbath unto the Lord." Gathering manna on the day before the Sabbath was required because they would not have it. He wouldn't give them manna on the, the Sabbath day. If they were going to eat, they had to gather it on the day before. But you see how important this principle is that God, as important as food is, it's far more important to remember the Lord and to worship Him. And He would provide them food so graciously. Did He gave them a double amount on the day before His day. So gracious was he, but this day is mine. Certainly the remnant are the godly seed of the Lord, the truly saved and calling on him in, in, in faith, observe the Sabbath from Adam to this time in Exodus. Plenty of people didn't, just like plenty of people don't today. But we would submit there's always been a godly remnant who did observe it. We notice that when the law is given, though, in that unique period of time, in covenant with his people, the Jews, the fourth commandment dealing with observing the Sabbath is the longest of all the commandments. Have you noticed that? There is a seriousness specifically given to it. Notice the wording in Exodus 20 verse 10. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. He owns it. Well, he owns everything, but... He puts such emphasis on this as being mine, the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And it carries with it a warning. This gift in, in the, under the law is given both positively and negatively. John Flavel notes that it is enforced with more arguments to support it than any of the other commandments. Our Lord prefaces the commandments by reminding his people that he is their Lord. I'm your God. And he has to remind us of that often, does he? Because we get the little puny idea that we're in control of what? Nothing. God regularly reminds us, big boy, you know what, Chris Lamb? You don't, you don't control anything. I'm the Lord and you're mine. It is my mercy that you're alive and breathing today. And he reminds us often, so graciously, so kindly, he daily pours us and loads us down with, with benefits. And yet he has to remind us that he alone is their Lord. And he does that with the children of Israel. Do you know what he, what he calls to their attention of when, in linking with the Sabbath? That he is the Lord and that he is the one that delivered them from bondage. When he gives the law, he says, Remember, I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. 
Would they have ever gotten out of Egypt had the Lord not gloriously intervened? Could they ever have broken the bondage of Pharaoh and the hold that they had as slaves had the Lord not gloriously intervened? This deliverance then is a type. And you know very well in the scripture that the deliverance of Egypt, of Israel from Egypt, is a type and picture of our deliverance from the bondage of sin. We honor the God of our salvation and our Savior and our Deliverer when we observe the Sabbath. We are reminded today of our Savior and these ordinances that the Lord has given to us, as we mentioned, the ordinance of believers' baptism, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And it, it, this, this salvation or emphasis is pointed out again in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, and remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt. Literally, you were a slave in Egypt. And that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. That, that phrase speaking the power and the might of the Lord. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee. Why? Because of his deliverance of you. One of the reasons he commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. To guard it. To observe it. To remember it. To revel in it. The Jews look back to their redemption from bondage as slaves in Egypt. Every Sabbath reminded them of that. As New Testament believers, we look back to the work of our Savior at Calvary. At being set free, we sing about it, we rejoice in it, delivered from the chains that were, we, wove, and we welded ourselves and could not break. And not a greater power than our own will have broken it and broken those chains of sin. When the Lord tells them then to remember the Sabbath, they were to look back to a precious and sacred day already established and observed. He links the past to the future. It reminds us of what He has done for us and what He's doing on our behalf even now and what He is going to do. From Moses to, to the time of, of Christ, the Sabbath was to be strictly observed. Now, we admit that under that dispensation, although by the time of our Lord's ministry on earth, the Jews had added to the Sabbath ordinance unreasonable things. Count the steps you could count, you could walk, how many sticks you could pick up, all kinds of things that the Scriptures did not address and they held it on the same level, the traditions of the fathers on the same level. And that's not what we're talking about. But that's what comes to people's mind when they think of, of, a, a, of strictly honoring the Lord's day. But from the time of Moses to the time of Christ, the Sabbath was to be observed strictly with severe penalties to the nation of Israel for breaking this covenant that God had made with his people. In other words, there was to be no necessary work at all. Why? Why did God establish that and give it so strictly? Because it served as a sign that God had a special covenant with His people. One of the things that set Israel apart from all nations on the earth was this very principle. The principle of the Sabbath. The heathen nations had nothing like that. They, they knew nothing of what, what was being established, what God had set up from creation. And it marked His people and has always marked his people in a unique way, this observance of the Lord's day. As Peter Masters writes, the reason Sabbath breaking was severely punished was because it showed contempt for the special covenant relationship God had with his people. 
But when Christ came, that temporary covenant with the Jews came to an end. And the strict, inflexible, extra regulations given to Moses for Sabbath keeping, which had not been there at the beginning, only for the Jews under that covenant of the law, also ended. Not the observance, but the, the strictness and the penalties of breaking the Sabbath. Also, once Christ came, all symbols that pointed to Him were fulfilled becoming obsolete. Not surprisingly, the Sabbath was moved by God to the first day of the week, something that that some of our friends disagree with, but I will deal with that more as we proceed here. But just to, to bring that out, the day of Christ's resurrection, which signaled the success and the finality of His work at Calvary. And we begin again on the first day of the week, celebrating the glorious finished work of our Savior is the resurrection from the dead. This was obviously, Peter Masters writes, implemented by the apostles who would have been moved by the Holy Spirit to do so since their doctrine was given to them by the Lord, perhaps from the fact that Christ appeared to them on successive first days of the week and also by revelation. He goes on to say in Colossians 2 verse 16, which so many people point to as uh, emphasis that God does not... Have a day. Paul tells the Gentile converts that they must not let any Judaizer entice them back into canceled Jewish ritual or condemn them for ignoring it, including the keeping of the Jewish Sabbath, for these were merely a shadow of things to come. The Colossian believers had been taught to keep the new Sabbath, the Lord's Day, just as churches at Corinth and Galatia did, according to 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. The new Lord's Day did not continue the extra duties and symbol rites of worship given to Moses, but it preserved the vital essence of the fourth commandment, which included the following reasons and purposes. And I'll just mention these as we close this particular study. Number one, God's reserving of one day out of every seven is a creation decree. And is also one of the Ten Commandments, which are abiding moral law written by the finger of God. Secondly, there must therefore always be a day of commemoration of His creation. There must also continue to be a day of worship and instruction. There must continue to be a day of remembering and proclaiming redemption. Remember the Lord has told us to preach the gospel to every creature, and by the foolishness of preaching, God has been pleased to save men. The proclamation is a particular element of that day for Christ displayed and explained the works of God on Sabbaths. And so must we by the evangelization of adults and children. One of the reasons that churches find it so hard to restart Sunday schools for the young is that ease and recreation has invaded the Sundays of many believers. And there's no time to do the very thing that God established for us to make disciples and proclaim the gospel. That's the reason so many churches cease bus ministries and, and those kind of outreaches that take time and effort and take almost the whole Sunday uh, to, to do. But whose day is it? Why was it given for the proclamation of the gospel and the bringing in of the lost that my house be filled? We see it through all the parables. Make a great feast and go out in the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house be filled. There must continue to be a day of rest for all workers so that they also may benefit. This precludes the unnecessary use of Christians by the Lord's Day for just their own. What does the scripture say that we read tonight? Call the Sabbath a delight. Cease from your own doings and your own uh, preferences than the Lord's. There are two other purposes that we want to emphasize in more detail. 
as we continue this study. And I've already alluded to it, but it's a powerful part of the Sabbath, the observance of the Lord's Day, that you may not think much about, although we should. Like the Sabbath of the Old Testament, the observance of the Lord's Day in the New Testament is a witness to the world. Look at those people. They get in their cars and they meet together. They regularly do it. They must believe there's a God in heaven worthy of their time and their effort. Some of you people, we had people travel from Sterrett, Alabama to, to worship with us today and from, from uh, Oxford and, and other places. Why would someone do that? Why would someone travel from Oxford or from Sterrett or from wherever you traveled from to, to be with us t- today? You thought it was important, didn't you? You thought that, that, that you wanted to meet with God's people and to hear his word. What an absurd thing to the unsaved world to go to such effort and sacrifice and to give of such time. And to, to, for these who've worked and labored in the Lord's vineyard on the bus routes and took up their whole Sunday morning and afternoon getting and retrieving and delivering these, these precious immortal souls. I had a Sunday school teacher come to me this today and said, I had 20 in my classroom today. It was just filled. And we rejoice in that. Every one of those students heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ought to be thrilled about souls and eternal things like that. It says something to a world that we set aside everything else for the, the business of souls. Of that which Christ came to seek and to save. How could we not put such a premium on it that the Lord does? And the Lord knew if we did not organize, if he didn't set us out a day, if he didn't tell us not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as you as this matter of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching, if he didn't give that, what would we do? We, we're so human, aren't we, as humans? We would try to get around to it sometime, maybe, and not do a very good job at it, would we? So the Lord has helped us. He knows our frailties. He's fenced in a day. And I say that in a, in a, not in a, in a harsh way. What does he do? When you fence something in, you tell your neighbors, this is mine. That's what a fence says, doesn't it? That's yours. This is mine. Not a bad thing. Someone said that fences make good neighbors, you know. When God fences in certain things, he's, he says for, for certain in the scriptures, all souls are mine. And the fencing in of the, the Lord's day says this is mine. And so one of the things that we will speak to in more detail, and you probably wonder how could you do it in more detail than you've already done, is that the Lord's day is such a statement of testimony to the lost. We think of it only for ourselves, but people watch the Lord's people and how they do. It's also another area that we want to investigate is also a shaping, sanctifying practice. For I have found that people who who learn the the joy and the blessing and the secret of the Lord's day set up an order in their life whereby they observe the principle of our Lord in Matthew 6, 33, which says, Seek ye, whenever you get around to it, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek, seek ye if you can. No, what does the scripture say? Seek ye first. Say it, church. First. Because he is first, isn't he? And last. And worthy of all praise. 
I have found that people who learn this secret, and I know that this very teaching tonight by some will cry legalism, to which I say, you know, not what you're talking about, okay? People who love to, to, to throw away the, 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 the doctrines of the Lord will, will love to cry legalism as if it will shut people up. But that's, you don't understand what legalism is. We'll discuss that if you want to, but that's not what this is. A gift from God is not legalism. God's saying, this is my day and you're my people. Come see me. Let's meet. Let's let you hear my word. Go out and bring others to hear and find out about me. It's a, those who find this principle, they seek first the kingdom of God. And you know what I found? All these things will be added to them. The other priorities of life seem to find their place. And they find God's purpose and principle for their lives. And they live fuller, blessed lives because of it. Try it. You'll like it. This shaping, sanctifying practice of ordering the priorities of God's people. Shouldn't we be people of priority? Shouldn't the life of Chris Lamb speak to all who observe it? He does certain things. I mean, he's got, there's some things in his life, whether they understand them or not, shouldn't there be some principles and priorities that are very loudly shown in the decisions that I make in the life that I live? May the Lord bless his word. We're going to study what the Lord's day uh, is and why, what day it is. Some will disagree with me there, but that won't be the first time. And how this day should be observed. I've written a little book, uh, leaflet on that. You might want to, we might need to reprint some more and get those out. People might not even know your pastor has written something. But I've written about this matter. I feel so strongly about it. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and mercy to us. Teach us, instruct us, lead us and guide us in paths of righteousness. Lord, may we enter into the, the fullness of your blessing for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.